Yeah, great to have people here, great to have uh, in-person worship, and hopefully we have a great time this morning. Um, Most of you know we're in a series we started last week. Uh, If you're new uh, to Lakeside today or are unaware, uh, that's recorded and available on our website. We're talking about the essential commandment, and uh, yeah, last week we started uh, with a bit of an introduction to that. Our, our sermon in a sentence, if you will, was that God initiates a relationship with us based on love, and we must determine how we respond to that. Again, some, some credit here. Uh, I'm using a lot of ideas and thoughts from this uh, Bible study book called The Essential Commandment, same name as our sermon series. Greg Ogden's the author of that, and uh, lots of great things in here. If you uh, are interested in ever doing a a fuller, bigger study on this, that's a great uh, book to get a hold of. Uh, Just some other little quick credits, of course, just to mention, there is a handout that um, is available to you. It's on the website. You can print it out. But uh, we will have some here now that we have people on site or in the building. Uh, We didn't quite get them printed out in time for today, but we'll have lots here next week. So if you're interested in that. And just a little credit there, all the graphic work that you see here, even on the slides, you know, all the little people and stuff, my daughter Victoria actually helped me with all that stuff. And my daughter's with me today, she lives in St. Catharines, and it's great to have her uh, home from uh, university, and she's going to be serving at Mediba this summer, so it's great to have her back in Halliburton, so great to have family around. All right, well, we're going to carry on, and uh, I'm going to start uh, in Mark 12, uh, is the passage that we're looking at, and I'm going to read verses 28 to 31 to you, and uh, the, the context is Jesus is being asked, so in 28, he's asked the question, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating, noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments... Which is the most important? And if you remember from last week, the Jewish law, there was, there was some 600 different rules and laws. So keep that in mind. So there's, there's this almost trying to catch Jesus here. Okay, Jesus, what's the one, right? And uh, Jesus um, replies. He says the most important one, and he starts with this phrase, which is very interesting. We talked about this last week as well, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And, and this is Jesus' reply. And this is the text that you know, we're using to try and understand the fact that God initiates this relationship with his creation, with mankind, with us. And how do we respond to that? What, what do we do with that? And, and again, last week, just a quick review this, this verse here, we talked about the fact that, that God initiates. So this, this, the, the, um, the Shema, if you will, talked about the fact that there is a God. There is one God. He wants to be our God. Now what do you do about that? And then the second part of that is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And then he adds this. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command than these. And so that's the premise. That's, that's what we're trying to 
look at and understand. And a lot of us are familiar with, with this passage. Of course, uh, Jesus is quoting from Deuteronomy. We talked about that last week as well. So this will be a very familiar passage. And for a lot of us, we're very familiar with this passage as well. But what's interesting about this is I read it and I read the words. But what does that mean? What does it mean to love God with my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength? Uh, what, are, what, are, what are all the things that are attached to those ideas, to those concepts? And that's what we're hoping to unearth during our time uh, over the next number of weeks. So that's what we're going to do. And today, our topic is loving the Lord your God with all your heart. So today is about the heart. Now, we'll do some definitions. Um, as, as trying to figure out what each of these various aspects of us mean or how we define them, a lot of times the heart and the soul kind of get mixed together. We kind of think about those things maybe as the same idea or the same concept. We're going to separate those. We're going to talk more about the soul later. Today we're going to talk about the heart. And in particular, as, as we look through scripture and for the purpose of what we're talking about today and what I believe uh, Jesus is trying to deal with is this idea that the heart is described as the command center of our being. We might use the term our will, all right? And as you start thinking about your will and the idea of a will that a person has, it's very interesting that this is the first one that Jesus mentions. Because for most of us, and you'll see as we go, and we're going to look at David and a few other examples, for most of us, this is the biggest challenge in terms of how we love God. It's dealing with our will or our heart. And it's interesting that it's number one. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, I'm just going to pop over there for a minute. There's this uh, time where, where God is working at trying to choose a leader. And uh, I'm just going to pull this verse out in verse 7. Uh, Samuel's working at trying to choose a leader. Who's going to lead here? And so, you know, everybody's lined up and, you know, how the leader is chosen in terms of man's perspective is one thing. But God says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So again, and we can go through scripture, the heart is so central in terms of what is important about us to God and where our heart is and where God sees and understands our heart, this idea of our will. All right? And we are very distinct from all other creation. Uh, we have a will. Uh, we might say that all the rest of creation is created with instincts, uh, so they kind of go about doing what they do, uh, you know, sort of based on instincts and such. But we, we have this decision-making center in us that's a part of how we were created. And uh, we can choose. We're free to choose from different alternatives and are able to understand that. But we also understand that our wills are fallen and inclined to rebel against God, and we distrust the goodness of God. I appreciate the song we're singing this morning about the goodness of God, but we often find ourselves living our lives and making decisions as if we actually distrust the goodness of God. We say, well, 
I understand that's God's truth or that's what God wants, but it doesn't make sense to me or it's not pragmatic or I can't, I can't draw lines through it or around it to, to make it understand it, so I'm just going to do it what I think makes sense, what I think works. And we distrust the goodness of God. Coming to Christ is a battle of our heart. And it's, it's probably the primary thing that we have to deal with is working through the fact that we have to submit our will to the will of the Father, to the will of God. And that's a huge peace. And we have to do that if we're going to enter into this relationship, if we're going to respond properly to God's grace and God's extension of love in a desire for a relationship with us, we have to deal with our will. We have to have this submission process go on in our lives and in our thoughts and in our decisions. And then once we enter into this relationship through Christ with the Lord, and we submit. Our, 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 our goal in our life is around submitting our will to his. And we're going to get into more of that as we get into the message this morning. Our sermon in a sentence this morning is to love God with all our heart is to submit our will. Seek to obey his commands and live under his authority. Okay? Simple. If you don't remember anything else. That's, there you go. What, what was the sermon today? When you go and eat on a patio today, isn't that great? We can eat on patios. Someone asks you, here it is. That's it. Easy to remember. All right. So we've got a couple of points this morning, and then we're going to enlarge or get into more detail in our second one. But let's start with the first thing in terms of loving God with our heart is we need to have a broken and contrite heart. Okay, and in Psalms 51, I'm just going to go there as well, and you're welcome to join in 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 your Bible or whatever you'd like, but Psalm 51, I'm going to read, I'm not going to read the whole thing, this is an amazing chapter if uh, you really want to read something that is uh, someone who is just pouring out their heart and is grappling with their heart uh, before the Lord, and this is is David, and uh, these are some of the things that he says. Psalm 51, verse 1 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So we're we're getting a little window into David sharing, you know, his heart and where his heart is at. And he's he's coming to grips with the fact that. I, I am really upset about my own sin and how far away I am from God's laws and what God wants from me. And here, here we hear this in, in this. And he says, these things I think about, I'm aware of them. And you might even say they're haunting me. They're, they're, they're in, on my mind, these sins, these transgressions. And it's a huge 
process. And if we don't understand our own sin and how far away our hearts and really our will is from the will of God, we can't really move forward and love God without dealing with our heart first. Our God dwells in small hearts or contrite hearts, hearts that realize what's happening and are broken and recognize the need of being saved and put back together. In Isaiah 66, 1-2, it says this, This is what the Lord says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? This is God saying, how can mankind ever do anything for me that would appease me or please me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. But these are the ones I look at with favor. Those who are humble, those who are contrite in spirit, and those who tremble at my word. And so we hear right from the Lord, this is, this is what I seek in the people I've created. Not someone trying to do all this great thing and look at me and I'm doing amazing things and so in doing so, God will accept me. It's actually the opposite of that. God says, when you actually deal with the fact that you are far from me and your heart is a mess, it's broken, it wants completely different things than what I want. That's the starting place. That's, that's how I begin a relationship with that person. Isaiah 57, verse 15. This is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. This is what the Lord wants to do. Most of us are familiar with the Beatitudes or this understanding, the attitudes of being, how we think about ourselves, our attitudes, our concepts. We're going to talk about that a little more with the mind. But the very first one, and hopefully you're getting this theme here of our journey in terms of this relationship Uh, with the Lord. The very first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. And if we think about that, it's this idea that, oh, woe is me. (laughs) I I am not worthy. Uh, I, I am broken before the Lord when I understand God and who he is and I understand who I am and my sin and how far away I am. We start to understand our heart and that's important. In Matthew 5.3, I think I've got that saved here as well. Um, No, that's not the right reference, sorry. Must be Matthew (laughs) 4.3. Well, we'll deal with that later. Sorry, I have the wrong reference there. But we, we need to first understand our heart. It's important. Uh, King David wrote Psalm 51 after he went through this incredible story, and a lot of us, again, are familiar with this, in 2 Samuel 11 and 12, and I won't go into the story. It's a great story to look at and see what 
happened there. But it's the story of Bathsheba. And most of us know that David saw a woman who belonged to another man, married to another man, and wanted that woman for himself and made arrangements for that to happen. And they had a child together, and he was trying to figure out how to deal with the husband and essentially murdered the husband. Uh, that was So Bathsheba, Uriah was the husband. You maybe recognize some of those names. And then Nathan uh, comes along. I would not want to be him. But anyways, Nathan comes along, and God says to Nathan, you've got to go and point out the king's sin here. Um, okay. And so he does that. And so we have in David someone who abused his power, he committed adultery, he murdered a man, and Nathan comes and shares all of this information with him, and David writes Psalm 51. Right? So now you're seeing how this story starts to pull together. David in Psalm 51 is grappling with the incredible, horrible things that his will has done. And for most of us, uh, these aren't our issues. But we understand that sin is sin. doesn't matter what sin it is. It separates us from God. Right? And we are sinful people. And if we don't acknowledge that and acknowledge that our will, without the saving grace, power of the Lord Jesus and the Holy Spirit coming and, and, and indwelling and, and, and leading us in that, our will is going in a completely different direction than God's. So we've got to start there when, when talking about the heart. Psalm 51, he also talks about confession, and he acknowledges his sin. He acknowledges that before, before God, and that, that's important. And confession for us is important. Part of acknowledging, and, sorry, part of realizing our sin, that's a great step, but then we need to confess that before the Lord, maybe before others, as is required. David was broken, and he was contrite. And even in the midst of all those things that he did, God looked on him and his heart and restored his relationship with him, which is incredible. Some of the characteristics of a broken and contrite heart. First, we need to give up the pretense of goodness. There is no goodness. Don't judge yourself on the good you have done or the bad you have avoided. The good you've done doesn't measure up to the bad. It just never does. It's a little bit like mm, you set your neighbor's house on fire and it's burning and you come over with a cup of water. I'm the hero and throw some water on it. Well, you did some good, right? Everybody sees, wow, I guess at least he tried. But you set the house on fire. That's pretty bad. Right? So the idea that the good somehow is what saves us or that's what pleases God is it's it's a false notion. There there isn't any good we're going to do that's going to please God. So we need to give up this pretense of being good. We have sins of omission, sins of commission. We need to clearly understand what we're capable of. Even if we don't do it, we're capable of doing it. We're capable and do think of it. And that's all a huge issue. Sin is in our heart. And if we really knew 
you really could look into my heart and the things I've thought or said or done, boy, I don't know if you'd have me up here, right? Like, our hearts, like, without God and the Holy Spirit helping us out, we, we have some challenges. No room for self-righteous judgment of others. When you come to terms with the sin of your heart and the desire of your will to go against God, you, you can't be judging others, right? It's the old pointing one finger at them and there's a whole bunch pointing back at you. Let us be helping others, not condemning them. Let's come alongside and restore. It doesn't mean that we don't bring truth, but we bring truth with grace. We bring, we, bring, we bring truth with an understanding that I'm right here with you. I might be further along on the journey, but I am, we're on the same journey. And that's important for us to realize. Our heart needs to be eminently teachable. A broken and contrite heart is pliable. It's moldable. A heart of stone is replaced with a heart of flesh. And a contrite heart draws the delight of the Father. Again, in Psalm 51, 17, uh, it talks about the fact that God is drawn to that heart and restores that heart. God is the refuge and strength for our heart. There's relief. Hopefully all of you are like, oh, if you don't know this truth already and you're hearing for the first time, it's a bit scary. But the reality is, is that when we know that God accepts and welcomes this broken and contrite heart, all of a sudden there's relief that our sin can now be dealt with. And if you are here last week, I did a little drawing on the whiteboard, and we get to the bottom of that whiteboard, and God initiates again that relationship through Jesus Christ who dealt with our sin. It wasn't dependent on us dealing with our sin. It was dependent on a sinless Jesus, and he's taken away our sin through Jesus, which is, which is incredible. And again, this broken and contrite heart is the heart to which God is drawn. Okay, the second thing we're going to look at, so we have to have this broken and contrite heart. The second thing we're going to look at is this idea that as disciples, and we talked a little bit about what a disciple was, and hopefully all of us are like, okay, I'm coming around this idea, I'll be a disciple. (laughs) Those of us that have accepted that and have made that decision, call yourself a disciple. It's okay to do that. It's good to do that. Disciples align their heart with the heart of God. So we recognize our our heart and where it's at. Okay, confession, dealing with those things. Now what do we do? Let's align it. Okay, let's align it. Okay. And uh, we're going to look at uh, Mark 4, uh, 1 to 9. Again, a very, very common passage that most of us are familiar with. I'm going to read it really quickly. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd had gathered around him was so large that he got in a boat and sat in it, went down on the lake, and while the people were gathered on the shore at the water's edge, he taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching said this, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path. And some birds came and ate it. Some fell among the rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but because the soil was shallow, um, uh, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. 
Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Now, those of us that live in Halliburton uh, know what it's like to try and grow grass here. And I don't know if I've given up yet or not, but, man, and and if you go and buy Halliburton topsoil, (laughs) uh, that's a bit of a misnomer, uh, just so you know. Um, It's mostly sand. (laughs) But uh, if you can get some good topsoil, which I imagine is pretty expensive, uh, hopefully you have a hope of, of growing some things. But at some point, I've kind of given up and basically said, if it's green, it's good, and just just mow it. But uh, it's pretty hard to grow <laughs> grass or any plant without great soil. And a lot of us that are gardeners, I am not, but those of us that are garden, gardeners understand this and the work that, that has to happen to keep that soil free from weeds and rocks and, and everything else. And so there's a number of I'll say heart characteristics that I want to point out from this passage. So this heart that fell among the path, and I'm just going to, we're going to use this idea of a hurried heart. Uh, so just think about that, a hurried heart. Okay, what, is, what could that mean? So it fell on a path, the ground was beaten, and it, it, this path was beaten down because so many people were walking back and forth on it. And it was well used, and lots of feet had compacted that soil. And it's sort of this idea that our heart is so busy, and our heart is always in a hurry. And there's just so much going on. We, we don't ever stop. We're never quiet. And even if we do stop, we just flood our heart and our mind with things on Facebook or social media or turn on the TV. And, and, and now more than ever with all the mo- mobile devices we have and everything we have in our vehicles and so on, it's, it's almost as if we never have quiet, maybe until we fall asleep. And so there's this idea that there's just no time or no space for God to impact us, for us to think and to dwell and for our roots to go down because it's just busy, 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 never stop. And uh, that's a real challenge. And essentially, this ground becomes hardened. And we have a hardened heart. And so when teaching or God, who has a word for us through his word, but we're never there to listen, we never actually open it. It's not a priority for us to maybe be in in a small group or to stop and have a quiet time or a prayer time, or just to stop and talk about the things of God or reflect on our lives. And that's, that's a huge challenge. It's a, it's a hurried heart, and, and I'm guilty of that. And in our society right now, this is becoming harder and harder and harder. And we love distraction. We love just busyness. And then we create these habits that we don't even realize. Like we just can't not, you know, be quiet without social media or something else going on. The next one... Um, was in the stones, if you remember. And so this, this idea of a shallow heart where, the, where there, there was some growth, but 
the sun came and scorched because the roots, again, weren't, weren't deep. There are those who realize, we might say, the euphoria of, you know, accepting Jesus as their Savior. And, you know, oh, this is great, and oh, I'm loving this, and, and maybe we've gone through that experience. Uh, we've made a decision, and that's wonderful. Um, and we're on the road now, hopefully, of transformation, right? And this is part of the challenge is that, did we really count the cost? Did we really understand the commitment we were making? Did we really understand what God required of us as we enter and as we move through this relationship. And uh, that's great. But the challenge is, is that we realize that was great and that was maybe an easy part of the relationship, making the decision. But now there's all the implications to the decision. Now there's the daily loving the Lord, my God. Now he's my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. With, you know, oh, dear me. What does that look like, and how do I keep doing that? And then we start to sometimes run into the fact that we want to look good, but not do good. Right? So we want to, you know, okay, I'll do the stuff that people can see, and I'll show up enough times to certain things, or I'll say certain things, whatever that is, but not necessarily has that changed my heart. Right? It's this surface kind of relationship or the surface response to God's grace towards us. We want God, and we want what God can do for us, but we don't necessarily want God. We don't necessarily want a relationship with him. We just want what he can do for us. Just bless me, God, bless me. But we don't necessarily want the relationship and what that means in the, in the, in the responsibility or or the things that we need to be doing to develop that relationship well. This ends up being an abusive relationship and and an abuse of God, right? So we abuse this idea of a relationship. If you're not going to invest in the relationship, if you're not going to give in the relationship, if you're not going to respond properly the way you should in a relationship, you end up abusing this idea of a relationship because that other person is pouring in and you're not, right? And then we end up really abusing that other person in terms of what they're doing for us. And the shallow heart becomes a fickle heart. We're just not really there. We made a commitment maybe, but it really hasn't transformed my life. And I'm not even sure I want it to. Back to a broken and contrite heart. (laughs) Did that process actually happen? Because if it does, you realize, man, oh man, I cannot do this without God. A divided heart. Uh, we see the, the uh, ground that has thorns in it. Seed goes in, thorns, and, and uh, the crops are growing together, and eventually the, the weeds take over, the, the thorns take over. Our life with Jesus is sometimes shared with the distraction of worry and or the pursuit of things. And we get to this question of, do I have one love? One pursuit, or are there many? And really, we mean the priority of those things. There's a story of uh, a young man who is in love and and wants to have a conversation with his girlfriend to hopefully engage her. And he comes to her and he says, um, I love you more than anything in the world. Um, And I I want you to marry me. But I'm not a rich man. I don't have a yacht and 
I don't have a, a Rolls Royce, and I don't have a big mansion. Uh, like, uh, oh, like my friend John, John Brown does. And uh, the woman thought for a moment. She says, oh, I love you too. But would you tell me more about John Brown? <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds good. Right? So, again, just funny story, but, you know, there's this idea that there's only one first place ribbon in our life of where our heart and our affection and our will is going to go. Who's got it? Does God actually have it? Or does something else have it? What is, what is our single most important prioritized pursuit in our life? What is it? If it's not God, you have a divided heart. There's other things that are going to come along. and Oh, and all of a sudden it's like, well, that sounds great. And we dismiss God and what he wants. And again, this is all dealing with our will. Right? The heart. The decision-making center. And, and what drives us and how we make those decisions. This is an ongoing waging battle. Who's winning? And what has the greater draw in our life? A divided heart is a betraying heart. And then we have the last soil. We'll call that a listening heart. And there's some listening practices that um, just going to go over quickly. Uh, some things that you can, you can apply in your life here and practice. First one is place your life up against the truth of Scripture. If you have a listening heart, a good soil heart, you're going to place your life, your decision, your will up against the truth of Scripture. Second, you're going to develop the discipline of silence and solitude in order to listen. At some, some point in the day or in your week, there is just time where you are seeking God and you're listening. And that might be through reading his word, might be listening, you know, to his word. Uh, it's maybe spending time with someone else as you talk and share and pray. I don't, I don't know what that looks like, but there is a discipline in your life that clearly shows that the information I need and I want to live my life is coming from God. Not coming from, you know, the news or TV or somebody's famous person or some talk show host. God. Doesn't mean those things, those people or things don't have some truth, but it's always measured to Scripture. And part of the challenge for us is we maybe don't even know Scripture that well in order to actually do the measuring. It's like having a measuring tape, but there's no numbers on it. It's... Um, Blank long. Right? So we need to know and understand scripture. How do we do that? We spend time in it. Obviously coming to church. Listening to things like this. Spending time with small groups. We need to understand. And build the measuring tape. Scripture. In order to measure the things. In order for us to make the decisions that God would have us. We we intertwine our lives with Christian friends. Who will help us live out the truth. Community, massively important, Christian community. you got to have people in your life that are helping you row. We're all rowing in the same direction. We're all trying to figure this out and understand it. Right? God, nowhere does God ever call us to be an island or by ourselves or in isolation. He calls us to live in community. Right? And hopefully you have invested in Christian community for the purpose of 
helping your heart, your will, do what God's called us to do. Fourthly, take faith risks by practicing what we learn, even if it means putting ourselves in uncomfortable places. God calls us to certain things. God instructs us in certain ways. And it's upon us to go and do what he's called us to do. Sometimes they're not easy. Sometimes they're difficult. I have this little saying that I use, and sometimes I use it at work and so on. I say, we do what's right, not what's easy. It's great that when what's right is easy, that's a bonus. But it doesn't happen that often. So we do what's right, not what necessarily is easy. And that's important. A listening heart is a fruitful heart. And hopefully you caught that at the end there. That crop grew up and produced 30, 60 times. And as our heart is aligned with God, the fruit that we start to bear is we come alongside and help other people align their heart with God. And they're developing their relationship with God. And all of a sudden, it's not a journey of me dealing with my will, but now I'm helping others come alongside as I am on the path for discipleship. I bring others along with me. And so this condition of growth, as we're now talking about, is this idea of a deep listening of the word of God and obeying it. It's a little bit like um, you, well, all of you came here this morning, which was great, and most likely at some point this morning you were standing in front of a mirror. I'm guessing by the look of most of you. And you're standing in front of the mirror, and let's just say you've got a big smudge on your face, right, from something. I don't know. I don't know what that might be that you got into this morning after you woke up, but there, it's there. And you stand in front of the mirror, and you see it, you acknowledge it, there's that smudge, and you turn away, and you walk away, and you show up here. Now, none of you did that. Now, I haven't looked at all of you closely, but none of you did that because there's no smudges on your faces. But when we read God's word, and we want to, oh, I want to grow, I want to grow as a disciple. When we read God's word, and we don't deal with what it says and apply it to our lives, you might as well just walk around with smudges on your face. And people are like, why doesn't that person, like what? That's just so strange. It doesn't make sense to us. And that's the challenge. So growth says, I see the smudge. I see the issue. I see the, the call of God. I see what God's instructing. And I obey or I follow or I answer that call, whatever that might be. We need to develop deep listening practices. So this morning we've talked about our heart. That, that will that we have. And we've talked about the fact that we first understand and acknowledge that God in his relationship with us wants us to start with a broken and contrite heart. And then we align, we do the work of aligning our heart with the heart of God or aligning our will with God's will. And so our core truth this morning, our hearts roll out the welcome mat to God's indwelling presence when they are marked by a broken and contrite spirit. We who are brokenhearted are essentially grief-stricken over our capacity for sin, and yet our contrite state makes us the object of God's reviving mercy. Our goal is then to listen which is to grow to the point where the will of God is simply an automatic response 
in the midst of our daily circumstances. We learn to respond by practicing the spiritual disciplines that submit our decision-making center to the heart, to the will of God. That's loving the Lord your God with all your heart. That's what that is. Okay, our memory verse, if you're interested in learning a memory verse, comes from uh, Psalm 51, that whole story. And if you want to read that, that um, sort of outpouring of David's heart, it's a great, great chapter to read. 51.17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. Thank goodness. Wonderful. Some questions for reflection today and, and this week. Have I come to a place where I have been broken by the weight of my sin? Have you been there? Have you dealt with that? Have you invested time in really coming to grips with who you are and how far away we are from the Creator and what He calls of us and asks of us? Then, (laughs) am I prepared to give full command, my heart, and my life over to God? Now, choose carefully. (laughs) It's a big decision. It shouldn't be a decision that's made lightly or in emotion only. Like, it should be a major decision because for the rest of our lives, third question, am I characterized as one? who seeks and obeys the will of God. Will that, will that sentiment or sense in some way be, be said of you? Maybe at your funeral or when friends talk about you or they ask about, so what, what drives this person? Are you characterized as one who seeks out, right, and then follows, then obeys? So we'll wrap up today and then I'll pray, but I'm going to read our, our passage one last time. This is where Jesus res- responds to, uh, to the question, and he says the most important one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater command than these. Mark 12, 29 to 31. Let's just pray. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who instructed us and basically boils it all down to this one command, which includes loving you with all of how we were created, our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, and loving others. And, Father, we have just touched the surface this morning on what it means to deal with our will and to love you with our will, our heart. And, Father, as we reflect on that, as we think about that, uh, for those of us maybe that are, are seeking, we're getting a bigger picture of what this is all about. For those of us that are on this journey, it's hopefully a good reminder and reflection and evaluation for us and for me. And so, Father, we pray that you would continue to do a work. We're so grateful that you extend and want a relationship with us. May we respond 
to that relationship in the way that we really should, in a way that's reasonable, that just makes sense. And so, Father, when we recognize that, may we give this hard and serious thought. And, Father, my prayer is that each one here would make that decision. As for me, I will follow God with my life. And I hope that can be said of all of us. And so, Father, we commit that to you this morning. We thank you again for your word. We thank you for, oh, wow, Jesus, your incredible gift. Father, we thank you for the example of of David and how he dealt with his heart as he was so far from what you were calling and asking of him. And so, Father, we pray that we we would head that direction too. And may we be good soil. And we commit these things to you in Jesus' name. Amen.